Welcome to a message by Highway Christian Community. Highway Christian Community is a church in Pinetown pastored by Steve and Janet Wheeler, whose vision is to make disciples. You can visit their website at www.highway.org.za. We hope that today's message enlightens the eyes of your heart to know the goodness of God and awakens you to live your God-given purpose. Enjoy. Good morning. Welcome. Great to have you with us here this morning. Just want to say that we're going to continue a, a, in a series we've been doing over the past uh, few months that Jesus is building his church on the revelation that he is the Christ, not just a prophet, but the Christ, the son of the living God. And to this church that he's building, he says, I'm going to give you keys. Because keys represent authority, they represent access, they represent uh, ownership. And he says, what I'm going to do on the cross for you has to be appropriated. And by that, you need kingdom keys to access kingdom realities. Jesus is quite capable of building his church. Where two or three are gathered, or more, there's an authority that comes to them that whatever is not permitted in heaven is not permitted on earth. And whatever is released in heaven can be released on earth. And Jesus got down to some seriously good stuff when he said on the cross, it is finished. And he put into our kingdom bank account everything we need for life and godliness. So we're going to continue in this uh, vein of thought, recognizing that Jesus spent the next three and a half years teaching on the kingdom. And when he came back after his uh, resurrection, and he spent those 40 days with the disciples, Acts chapter 1 says, he taught for 40 days about the kingdom. And we don't have to know all the teachings he gave because he said, the Holy Spirit is coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes... He will teach you and remind you of everything I told you. I mean, how cool is that? We've got a built-in library. Wall to wall, A to Z. The Holy Spirit can take what's from Jesus at the right time, in the right situation, and make it presented. So we need to understand the keys. We need to understand how the kingdom operates. We've been looking over the past few weeks the messages are recorded. You can make access to them. I'm even thinking to put a series of kingdom keys together because over the years we've heard some of the stuff, but in the light of grace, it, it is so effortless. There's not the striving to perform, to do things that we think are going to earn God's favor and qualification. No, the gospel starts where you qualified and have earned God's approval. That's the good news. The keys of the kingdom. And, and Jesus was very clear when he said, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news, say good news. The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. So you see by that, everyone is forcing their way in. That it's the good news of the kingdom of God. Another way of saying that, 
to be correct to the to the the, the grammar of the passage is that kingdom message is good news. You could say the good news of the kingdom, like the love of God, but you can also say God's love. It's the same use of the genitive as an object or subject, but now I'm just showing off some grammar. To say the good news of the kingdom is to say the kingdom's good news. Because this kingdom message carries everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross. You get into the kingdom based on the good news. You live in the kingdom based on the good news. And we're going to get into eternity on the good news. But there was a problem. Jesus addressed it. Woe to you teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Remember the law and the prophets, still John. You hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to do so. So, so. so Jesus was very clear that he came with a message about the kingdom. The kingdom was at hand. Repent for the kingdom is here. And the law and the prophets and the teachers of the law and the prophets and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were vehemently against who does this guy think he is? Coming and saying, it was until then, now it's stopped. Moses. Message to us is binding. And the prophets. And, and, and they were missing what Jesus came to teach about. The kingdom of God on earth. As it is on earth. As it is in heaven. They were missing this. So he says, you guys are not getting it. But not only are you not getting it, you're stopping other people from getting it. You know, that's what a mixture of religion and grace does. It stops people from getting grace. You say, well, it's okay. You know, as long as it's 90% and 10%. No, no, no. Even 1%. Of mixing the covenant of the prophets and the law into the message of grace. Contaminates it to such a point that people can't get into it. They can just stay religious. They can just live in the realm of do, do, do. Because it's not doing right that is going to position us for the kingdom. It's believing right that positions us for the kingdom. The law was based on do this and do that. Grace is based on believe this and believe that. We're not against doing right, but doing right is the fruit of believing right. When we believe right about things, our behavior will match up as a result of what we believe. Now, now, in saying that the law and the prophets have come to an end of their ministry, we've got to be very careful, and in our enthusiasm about talking about the superiority of the new covenant, we mustn't make like the law was a bad thing, or it was a sin. The law was not the enemy. The, 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 the law was just the signpost that says 120 kilometers an hour on the freeway, where you were already traveling, some of you, at 180 but when you're traveling at 180, or not you in this place, nobody knew it was wrong. You, they could justify it. I was in a hurry, you know. I didn't like that person anyway. But when there's a signboard up there and it carries the authority, it says 120. Now that's what the law did. 
It wasn't the law that was a problem. It was the speedy nature of man that was a problem. Like I said last week, thermometer doesn't change your temperature. It just tells you what it is. And the law was not the enemy. In fact, in Romans 7, it's, it's so pertinent here. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, do not covet. Just remember, we, we, we 21st century people, we think differently to people in these days. And in the days of Moses. And prior to Moses. You just go and study a little bit on ancient civilizations and cultures and you quickly find out. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Apart from the speed limit there, I don't know I'm sinning. Apart from taking my temperature, I don't know I've got a temperature. All this temperature taking anyway is driving me crazy. I'm like six times a day. I know I'm 30, 36 now. You see, those who make the rules that we have to fill in forms and clean our hands, they're not the enemy. The enemy is a virus. The enemy was not the law. The enemy was not the prophets. But sin. Seizing the opportunity. Because once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandments, sin might be shown for what it truly is, that it's utterly sinful. Very clear. The law and the prophets had their season. And we've studied this. I don't want to do too much repetition here this morning. But the kingdom that Jesus brought was superior. And it was based on superior promises. But just in case we get this understanding or idea that the law was a bad thing. The law was holy. The law was good. The law was the best they could have as an operating system under that covenant. But it's an inferior operating system when you discover iOS on your iPhone. Sorry for you Microsoft people and you whatever else, Android people. But you can't go back to DOS after you've had Microsoft or iOS. That's all that the new covenant is teaching on this topic. So this is kind of where we got last week. And I, I, I don't want to repeat too much. I want to get to the part I didn't have time for last week. And that was an illustration from Matthew chapter 9. An illustration that kind of takes this concept of what Jesus was teaching and helps us understand it. I love, or I'm growing to love more and more the teachings where I see the word kingdom represented. 
When I see the word kingdom, I go, okay, here's something more that we can learn. All right, so let's mark chapter 9 and verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. There's a whole story there. And led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before him, before them. Wow, what an experience. Being called by Jesus out of the 12, three completely different characters and personalities, to go and spend some alone quiet time, and there to have Jesus just transfigured. His clothes became dazzling white. I mean, can you see this? Almost like when you look at the lightning in the sky, and that's like hovering around Jesus. They, they found it hard to, to find words. So they said, you know, whiter than anyone could bleach them. But, but it was just this like blinding light around Jesus. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Do you see the picture? And Peter said, this was, a, I mean, a good time. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I mean, obviously, he did not know what he was saying because he was so frightened. I mean, this was quite a daunting experience. I mean, you, you've heard about Moses all your life. It's, it's like you've heard about uh, Mandela growing up. All your, one day you're standing and he's there in front of you. Or someone else that you, you, you've been uh, uh, fascinated by. Or someone else you've, you, you, you've sort of, you know, uh, edified, uh, seen on an on a edifi edified. You, you, you kind of shocked and, and you just, have you ever been like, and you just say something and then afterwards you go, oh, that was so stupid. It's like on a first date or something. You kind of just, comes out and it's too late out there. Anyway, this is Peter, but he's known to be like this. He's the running around chopping off ears guy. You know, he's the I'll never deny you guy. But I mean, come on, it's got to be quite daunting. He has Elijah and Moses. Elijah, I mean, he had such a reputation. A prophet of prophets. And they're standing with Jesus. And, and all, all, all Peter could think of was, you know, like most religions do. Let, let's build a Mecca so we can go to that tabernacle and visit. Or let's, you know build a shrine or every denomination wants to build a cathedral and let's build something that, that we can sort of capture and, 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 and hold you know, the presence of, of what we had but God's not as interested in monuments as he is in the movement he's bringing through the kingdom and all religions do that they want to hang on to something from the past build an edifice, build a monument build a tabernacle Go to Jerusalem. You can buy so many little pieces of the cross, you could build three arcs. Everywhere you go, another piece of the cross. Oh, this is a true, genuine part. It's like all these little trips they got, you know, driving around and taking you here, and Jesus walked here, and that little rock that's actually bumped against, and that's why it's shiny on the side. And, you know, I mean, it, they were frightened, okay? Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them and a voice from the cloud, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. 
there's a new king in town. And he's got his kingdom. And this wasn't so much about dazzling clothes as it was about a baton exchange. Moses and the law and Elijah and the prophets were until John the Baptist took Jesus in the water and the Holy Spirit ascended. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that moment, something completely changed. And that's why I believe it's almost like they, Moses and Elijah had to vanish. They were in a different time zone. I don't know how you, you can articulate this, but, but something really weird happened. We know of Moses' death. We don't know about Elijah's death. But whatever happened, they are, God is the God of the living, not the dead. And like I said last week, we've already stepped into eternal life. We're not waiting for eternal life. Just these bodies will get old and fade. But I'm a new creation. Uh, uh, as he is, so am I. I'm, I'm of his spirit. Anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. We, we're alive. We, we, uh, and, and we don't work in the operating system of the law and the prophets. In fact, we have to guard against that religious mindset of a God out there and a me down here just trying to please him and do a good thing. That is so ingrained and impregnated into, into our lives. But the voice of God comes. This is my son. I want to just talk a little bit about Mo. Moses and Elijah. Two fascinating people in the Old Testament. And I love the contrast that they bring to the good news. Because Moses, also as a baby, was threatened and nearly lost his life, as Jesus did. And it took a very skillful maneuvering of the parents in tune with God's purposes. And Moses went into the Hebrew culture and he learned the, all the the arithmetics and the architecture and the sciences of, of the Egyptian people who were brilliant. And he had that advantage, but he was called by God to be a deliverer. Deep in his, his DNA. And Jesus is so contrasted as a humble builder's son who, born in a stable, uh, uh, didn't have a great natural education, but also came not only to be a deliverer, but to be a redeemer, not only of a nation, but of all the nations of the world. Similar situations, God speaks to Moses. But here we have a bush on fire. And we have this voice come and Moses feels almost unworthy as, as he takes his shoes off and he bows his head. In contrast, we see Jesus on the other side with the Holy Spirit's presence and the voice of God, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus gets up in the temple and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to preach good news. Moses just had to go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. Jesus came to say, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let God's people go. And because of the rejection of God's word to Moses, we know the awful plagues that came upon the earth. In contrast, isn't this a beautiful picture? That Jesus goes to a mountain and becomes a plague for us. That he takes the plagues of the world in himself. The Bible says he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And in Egypt there was pandemonium. In Egypt it was terrible. Blood got turned, I mean water got turned into blood. In Egypt it was just curse and and the firstborn die. But when we go through the cross and we see Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus taking the sins of the world upon himself. All of a sudden, in his ministry, we see the lepers are made healed. Under the old covenant, lepers constitute dirty, filthy, stay away. Under the old covenant, when the law came to Moses, 3,000 people were killed because of the golden calf and their hearts had turned away already and 3,000 in one day perished. We see when Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit come to earth, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, soon after that, 3,000 people cry out and say, what shall we do to be saved? I mean, what a, what a contrast. I was just surmising through these characters and thinking about what they went through and how Moses then goes and with the Jewish nation and the Red Sea opens up before him. Moses was a deliverer of a nation and the Red Sea opened up to go into their promise. Jesus wasn't just a savior and redeemer, but in the temple... At the time of his crucifixion, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Not only was that a miracle of a sea opening to go into our promises, but in Jesus, the veil tore apart so that we can walk into his promises. And the scripture says his promises are yes and amen. Moses carried an inferior gospel. Jesus carries the superior gospel. No wonder the voice came to Peter, James, and John on the mountain and said, yes, you've seen something fascinating today, but this is my son, and you need to listen to him. That was radical for them. It could cost them their lives. Because Moses was seen as, as their main leader, their spiritual leader. And the law was given, John says, but grace came. Grace came as a person, but the law was given through Moses. The law was given that was written on hard stone. Jesus came out of a, a womb of promise for the world. And the law condemned the adulterous woman to be stoned. The, limb, the, the law condemned her and Jesus, when they brought the adulterous woman before him, what did he do? He bends down in the temple courts and he starts riding on the floor. It wasn't sand as we know it on the beach. It was the, the dust that was in the temple. But the temple was built on rock. The same hand that wrote the same commandments 
For the covenant of Israel was the same hand who said, I have superior authority and I say, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Contrast Moses and Jesus. Then we see that the law was always demanding something. But we see in Jesus, he's always providing something. The law says you will, you will, you will. Jesus says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit upon you. I will remove all your sins. In me you have eternal life. That's Moses. What, what about Elijah? Elijah was a gray-haired, bearded, bandy-legged, fire in the eyes, walking with a rod. And he hates crick for nicks. He wasn't scared of anything. When Elijah came to town, you knew something was happening, except when he bumped into Jezebel. No, that's another story. Well, not really. I mean, King Ahab was a wicked, weak, insipid ruler during the time of Israel. Most of the kings were weak. His weakness came from his wife, predominantly, who was uh, dominating witchcraft and Tyrannosaurus, you know, it's like it's, it's like some of these uh, uh, presidents of state. It's, they're not as wicked as their wives. Some of these tyrants and these uh, autocrats in the world, you don't know what mommy's like at home, okay? And, and Ahab had one of those. And, and and Elijah comes and says, my job is to make sure you guys stick to the law and you're not keeping to the law. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that God closes up heaven and it doesn't rain. And then Ahab tries to repent. It's a whole long story. But Elijah comes and says, right, bring all the prophets. Bring all your prophets. Let's go up the mountain and let's see who's God. So come. So he summons the people. He says, today is the day of decision. You're going to have to decide what you want to do. And they go up the mountain and, and the Baal prophets jump around and dance and cut themselves and scream. Nothing. Elijah calls down fire from heaven. Elijah then, after all this happens, he prays that it would rain. And, and, and his servant is with him and sees in the distance the, the, the cloud the size of a hand. And he says, and Elijah says, it's not just the size that matters. God is going to open your eyes and you're going to see that more of those who are for us than those against us. I mean, Elijah's a fascinating prophet. Through the book of one Kings, Kings, two Kings. Powerful prophet. Yeah, he's on the mountain. You're standing with him. And Jesus, he disappears. And the voice says, now listen to Jesus. You see, Jesus also denounced the king of the day. You know what the king was? Religion. The Pharisees and Sadducees had so twisted God's commands and added them and watered down where it pleased them. And the one area Jesus came to denounce was self-righteousness. If Elijah was condemning the bold practices, Jesus was condemning self-righteousness. If the prophet Elijah called down fire from heaven, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem because you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
there's a new fire coming upon the earth. Elijah the prophet was persecuted by Jezebel. In fact, it got so bad at one time, he went up under a little tree on a mountain, lay down and said, God, I'd rather die. Remember that? Remind you of something? Remind you of Jesus in Gethsemane? Where as a man, 100% as a man, like you and me, woman, men and women, as a, as a human being, he, he, he cried out and said, God, isn't there another way? I don't know if I can go through this. But not my will, but your will be done. What a contrast. And we also find with Elijah then after he has the suicide wish, that God says, go further up the mountain. The angel said, go further up the mountain because God is going to speak to you. Elijah goes up there. And you remember the story? There was a raging wind. But God was not in the wind. There were earthquakes and the place rocked, rattled and rolled. God's voice wasn't in there. There was fire. Raging fire around. God was not in there. It says, and then there was a still, small or sweet voice. Remind you of something? Remind you of Moses when he went up the mountain and he said, God, show me your face. And God says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. In the mountain, I will come past, but my face you will not see. You'll see my form, but my face you will not see. Could it be that those two occurrences were fast-tracked through time in a way we don't fully understand in our scientific fields yet, where Moses' experience on top of that mountain, seeing the form of God, Elijah's experience at the top of the mountain where there was a still voice, was on that same mountain where Jesus met with Elijah and Moses. And there they heard the still small voice of peace and grace and love. There, Moses got to see face to face. I just think it's such a beautiful picture. The more I've been thinking about this, the more I've been reading around it and praying, I just realized that, that there was a mantle Elijah passed on. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Elijah had a personal anointing that wasn't for everybody, but in the new covenant, we all have a new anointing, and it's for every one of us. Elijah maybe spoke for God, but Jesus spoke as God. Wow. You talk about a different of operating system. You understand why the law and the prophets had to run their course, but come to an end. They were holy and good, but they couldn't make you and me holy and good. It needed a new covenant for that. And Jesus is superior. And his covenant is superior. And on that mountain, the voice they heard, you and I are hearing right now. Listen to him. You want to know what the key of the kingdom is? When you get alone with Jesus up there, and you listen to what he has to say. And the Bible says that Peter, James, and John, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Is that a key for us? Is that a key of the kingdom? When we get to a place where we're not looking at things or systems where we can put our hope 
I'm born of that tribe. I went to that university. I have this, you know, in my background. But Paul says, I count those things as rubbish. They finished with them. I'm done with it because there is a new king and his kingdom has come on earth and I'm part of a new kingdom. That's what Paul is saying. That's what you and I hear today. Jesus is saying, the, the Father's voice is, what is he saying to you? What is he saying? Listen to him. Listen to him. Stop in the middle of your busy day and just go, okay, Jesus, I want to hear what you've got to say to me. Keys of the kingdom. Keys of the kingdom. And just to pull this to a conclusion. We all trust in different things. We all have our Moseses from our past. We all have our medical aid or no medical aid or pension or no pension. Or uh, We all have our education or no education or right color, right age, right place mentalities. But this message is all about stripping everything away. Like that song says, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. Alex, don't you want to come and do that song again? I just, I love that. Just a moment where we, where we stand and say, okay, Lord, come and confirm this word. See yourself on that mountain. See everything you've believed about religion and about trying to please God, about condemnation, about an inferior covenant of sickness and fear, of poverty. See those things up there in contrast with Jesus. And then suddenly, just see a cloud just filling the atmosphere. And when it's lifted, all that remains is Jesus. And the question to you this morning, and the question to me, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough when all is stripped away? Is Jesus' word enough when all other messages are clamoring for attention and suppressing me and depressing me? And, and is, is a one word from him enough? Don't you want to just stand with me this morning as we just... Just a thought that came to me and Stephen said that Moses had asked God to show him his face. And then for the first time at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses saw the face of God because he was with Jesus. And a lot of you think, oh, but he was dead and gone. But if you read your Bible, there were three days and three nights after Jesus' death where he came and he set those which were dead in him free. So Moses had never been in that place yet to see the face of God, although he had been dead for many, many, many years. So it was his very first time. And for us here this morning, it can be a, the very first time that you can encounter God face to face, but your heart must want that. 
Like Moses' heart wanted that. God couldn't do it in the old covenant. But now in the new covenant with that curtain that has been torn, the divided man and God, we can see our God face to face. We can encounter him in a face to face way. We are not pre the cross. We are after the cross. That veil has been torn. And it's for everybody to just encounter the presence of God and to see his face. my life 
what is true. He is my life. He is my life, Lord. He is my life, Lord. He is my life, Lord. Speak what is true. I'm found. I am found. I am yours. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, not only did you come to defeat the prophet of bowls, but you came to defeat the principalities and powers that kept us prisoners, that kept us locked in slavery. And you, Jesus, came as deliverer and as healer. And in you we are found, in you we live. In you we move and have our breath. And Lord, today we just want to open up our spiritual ears to say, Here am I, Lord. Speak to me. Let me hear your voice. Let me see you like I've never seen you before. You are my Savior. You're my Lord. Speak now. And church, I just wanted to encourage you Take a seat for a moment. The keys of the kingdom are very powerful to access and to transform. While we were singing, I was thinking, Lord, is, is there something else you want to say or do? I remembered Mark came with a word this morning. And uh, because we've still got five minutes, don't you want to come and share that with us? While we do that, yes, uh, some of the guys just grab. If you came with an offering this morning, something you'd like to give and so, and be a blessing to, the, to the, the work of the Lord here in this place, take your offering. If you're giving by internet, take your offering. If you're watching by way of the internet or on the radio, take your offering and say, Lord, thank you. Sure, it's hard to give in this church, eh? <laughs> you, I'm like, please let somebody come. And I want to give something here. <laughs> thank you, Jakes. Well, good morning, everyone. Isn't it amazing to be in the presence of the Lord? You can walk in the presence of the Lord wherever you are. Because He's always with you. He never leaves us and He never forsakes us. Jesus encouraged us. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now where as we were singing, take my heart, Lord, take my life, Lord. Where's your heart? Because if your heart is in heaven, if your heart is established with God, in God, then the whole reason we store up riches is for the kingdom. It's for the purposes of the gospel and for advancing the good news. 
That's where our heart should be. And if that is where you store up your treasure, then this will be true, that you cannot serve two masters. For you will serve the one, or you will hate the other, or you will hate the one and serve the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Don't let money be your God. Let God be your God. Let Him rule your heart and give out of His pocket, out of His abundance, not out of what you see. Can we pray for the offering? Father God, I just thank you right now that we are a people who are amazingly and abundantly generous as we are motivated by your love and by your spirit because we have your heart and you have ours. As you have our heart, you have our wallets and you have our pockets and you have every resource that's accessible to advance the gospel and the kingdom. And so Father, we thank you that you bless this offering in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark.